This recording is intended to be used as an educational resource for healthcare providers. It is in no way a substitute for the independent decision making and judgment of a qualified healthcare professional. It should not be used to make a diagnosis or to overrule the advice of a qualified healthcare provider, nor should it be used to provide advice for emergency medical treatment. Uh, I'm sure many of you in the audience are afraid that I'm going to try to uh, convert you into being echocardiographers uh, at this late hour tonight. Well, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to try to convert you into being 3D echocardiographers. So um, I don't know if it's possible to please have the lights down more in order to display the images better. So I've decided to use uh, to answer the specific question, what does 3D echo imaging offer tricuspid valve surgery? I'm going to use a very singular case example, a case that many of you or all of you in the audience may have had a similar case, to illustrate very specific key concepts. These specific key concepts relate to 3D echocardiography's ability to evaluate the leaflets, the chordae, the papillae muscles, the entire tricuspid valve apparatus in its synchronous motion in three dimensions. I'll discuss briefly the ability to measure the vena contracta to estimate regurgitation, the ability to measure effective orifice area for stenosis, and then the application of 3D echo to measure right ventricular volumes and ejection fraction. So this was a eight-year-old male with hypoplastic left heart syndrome who had had a fenestrated fontan. And he was in an ICU on milrinone and diuretic therapy. And he was noted to have significant RV dilation and significant dysfunction and was noted to have severe tricuspid valve regurgitation. His outside diagnosis had been that he had anterior leaflet prolapse secondary to annular dilation. I'm sure a very similar case to all many of uh, our cases we all take care of. So here's a typical two-dimensional echocardiogram, and you can all appreciate the, uh, what really looks like prolapse of the anterior leaflet, and that's what this patient was thought to have. Clearly, we all can see the very severe tricuspid regurgitation. The RV was significantly dilated and dysfunctional qualitatively by this uh, two-dimensional imaging. But in this patient who was in the ICU, we went uh, up to image him with 3D echo, and this is just a live 3D image, just put the transducer down. And what was most notable here, because we can see in the three-dimensional perspective, was that this leaflet, it's not just prolapsing, it's actually scalloping, perhaps billowing, or perhaps even fail, flail. So we did a 3D volume data set here, and what was most important was that by just changing the imaging plane, you could see the very significant scallop of that leaflet. Now here, because it's a three-dimensional data set, if we rotate the plane and look at the RV, from the apex up towards the under leaflet of the valve, you can see um, a portion of it clearly prolapsing, not prolapsing, I'm sorry, but actually um, uh, uh, protruding up into the right atrium or almost billowing up there. And then you can see a significant zone of non-coaptation 
between this anterior and the septal leaflet. We started to get the impression that the septal leaflet was severely tethered. So here we can see the cross-sectional image uh, of the valve from below, and you can see a very significant zone of non-coaptation between the anterior and the septal leaflet. When we went to the 3D color format, we could see there, see there was severe tricuspid valve regurgitation, and the format to the right uh, will rotate it around, and in three dimensions, you can see it was a very low jet, a large jet of regurgitation. Now, the importance of this slide is that in three dimensions, you can truly measure the tricuspid valve annular size. So there are two or a, a longitudinal simultaneous cut planes, a four-chamber and a two-chamber view, and then you can see the blue cross-sectional plane that we can put precisely in the region of the annulus, and we get an on-fos cross-sectional view of the annulus, which we can then trace and evaluate the annulus as it truly exists in three dimensions. Now, we can also do that for the vena contracta. The vena contracta, a direct measurement of the area of regurgitation. And this was based on uh, uh, work done and presented in the American Society of Echocardiography. And here's just in our patient from their transthoracic echocardiographic view, you could get a three-dimensional format of the regurgitation. And again, in longitudinal uh, segmented uh, two-dimensional views, you could precisely place your cut plane in the area of the vena contracta, and you could annulate so you're directly in alignment with the regurgitation. And again, you can preliminarize that area specifically as it truly exists. Now, Brian Soriano in our laboratory several uh, years ago published a position paper in which we uh, measured uh, RV Vimes by 3D echo and uh, compared those uh, to MRI. And on the base of this uh, um, paper, we've been able to use uh, and measure RV Vimes, which we did in our patient. And this is using the semi-automated uh, detection algorithm. We measured the RV Vime at 160 mLs per meter squared with an ejection fraction of 47%. Well, based on the, these two-dimensional images, we had the clear-cut and three-dimensional images. Uh, we had the impression, and I showed these to Dr. Delnito, that the leaflet was not just prolapsing because of RV dilation, but it was flail. It seemed to be moving freely back and forth. So the decision was, going to, was to go to the operating room. And you can see in this two-dimensional image the motion of the anterior leaflet of the mitral valve. But we had in the concept of our mind that this wasn't just typical prolapse, but this was perhaps a flail leaflet. We confirmed the severe tricuspid valve regurgitation. And then we went to 3D imaging by transesophageal epicardial echo in the operating room itself. And these are segmented images that we were able to make in the operating room, and I could say, hey, Pedro, take a look at this image, and he's used to me doing that very often. But in this image, what you're doing is you're looking down onto the tricuspid valve from the right atrium, and you can see the significantly proximal uh, tethered septal leaflet right here, and you can see the very extensive zone of non-coaptation. Now, this image actually surprised me when we created it, because I've never quite seen it. 
But this is the severe, this is like a longitudinal view of the tricuspid valve. And here is the severe flail portion of the anterior leaflet. But most importantly, we could see the zone of non-cooptation and the very tethered septal leaflet. But the other thing we could see is the longitudinal extent of the papillary muscles to the chordae tendinae to the undersurface of the valve. And we could see chordae anterior laterally, but none, uh, uh, sorry, posterior laterally, but non anteriorly onto the undersurface of the valve there. In two dimensional imaging, because you always have at any point in time a singular cut plane, it's virtually impossible to see the papillary muscles, the chordae, and the undersurface of the valve leaflets at the same time. And you can't really see the synchronous motion of that. But in a three-dimensional format, where you actually have depth, you have the ability to see all those parameters simultaneously. I think the importance in our patient here was that there was the possibility, knowing that there were lack of chordal attachments to the leaflet, and knowing that you had a severe flail component of the leaflet, that you could repair this valve rather than replace it. And so we could demonstrate in the operating room to uh, Dr. Del Nido that there were absence of both primary and secondary cords to that anterior leaflet. There was a lack of chordae uh, to the edge of the leaflet and even to the body of the leaflet. So the beauty is we could take a cut plane right below the uh, uh, leaflet, right up to it, and clearly show no chordal attachments up to this anterior portion of the leaflet. Now, after repair, in which uh, Dr. Dalnito uh, was able to close the commissure between the anterior septal leaflet, put in a ring, and then attach an artificial cord to the anterior leaflet, as you can see, there was much improved leaflet coaptation with a good coaptation height. There was the absence of significant tricuspid regurgitation with good tricuspid inflow. And then in the operating room, in this longitudinal view, we could see the chordal attachment, this artificial gourd going from the papillary muscle up to the chordae tendinae. Importantly, we could turn it on its side and segment closer in and we saw the absence of the severe flail anterior leaflet with a very good length of coaptation. Here's the annular ring. And again, because of this being 3D echo, we could now look down onto the annulus from the right atrium. We could see the U-shaped uh, uh, configuration of this uh, annular ring and the absence of any perivalvular leak. Now, importantly, uh, that was in the operating room. So what did it look like before discharge? Did it still hold true? Now, of course, all of you know uh, your transthoracic imaging isn't that good in the postoperative patient, but we clearly could see the absence of the flail anterior leaflet. There was no longer any significant tricuspid valve regurgitation. And importantly, when we looked at these images from the RV apex, we could see the chordal attachment was directly attached up to the undersurface of the tricuspid valve. By three-dimensional color flow imaging, there was absence of tricuspid regurgitation and a very good inflow jet. But again, similar to the other measurements we had made, 
we could now truly measure the effective orifice area. As you all know, especially for the right side, the gradient may not give a true indication of the severity of the stenosis. So what you really would like to do, and what we should be doing as a pediatric community, is talking about effective orifice area. So again, uh, because you've got the entire data set in the volumetric data set here, you can segment out simultaneous two-dimensional views. So this is the long axis four chamber view, long axis two uh, chamber view, and you can put your cut plane in blue directly across the uh, effective orifice area, look at it directly on FOSS, trace it, and measure the effective orifice area as it truly exists. Uh, and importantly, without having to go to another procedure like an MRI, you can imagine it would be difficult to sometimes get an MRI in an immediate postoperative patient. We could measure his ventricular volumes by 3D echo. And note, there was a marked reduction in the RV volume, nearly 35%. The ejection fraction had gone down, which we clearly attributed to the sudden uh, release or take away of the low resistance tricuspid uh, uh, regurgitation, making the uh, uh, ejection fraction uh, go down. Uh, subsequent imaging will hopefully show that it goes back up again. So uh, the most important thing I wanted to share with you, using a key example, is that you can use 3D echo to truly evaluate the tricuspid valve anatomy, the function, and the RV volumes and ejection fraction. Thank you very much. Please help us improve the content by providing us with some feedback. This recording is a production of Open Pediatrics, a free and open access resource for pediatric clinicians worldwide. For more pediatric care materials or to join our global community, please visit our website at openpediatrics.org.